Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. And welcome to Rising Stars and New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and I have the delightful pleasure to welcome Courtney Walsh today. Courtney is a social media rock star, a consultant, and metaphysical humor author. She's an internationally renowned speaker and the writer of the Dear Human Viral Media Meme that has now been shared with over 20 million people, including Deepak Chopra, Elizabeth Gilbert, and Khloe Kardashian. Her books include Lipstick and Thongs in the Looney Bin, Squeezing the Stars, Juicy Musings for the New Love Generation, and her latest book is called Dear Human, A Manifesto of Love, Invitation, and Invocation to Humanity. Welcome, Courtney. Hi, Miriam. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you. You know, uh, I, I have a, a certain cognitive dissonance with reading your book and the profound wisdom in it and the obvious miles you must have clocked in life, <laughs> and yet you look like a teenage Irish leprechaun. <laughs> How the heck did you get there with that get through life to the, to that extent with that little grin on your face. <laughs> I think that is how I've gotten through life so far with that little <laughs> grin on my face and looking like, as you put it, an Irish leprechaun, who's also very tall, so I'm way too tall to be. I'm more like an Amazon leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, laughter. Laughter is youthing, and I, I uh, have good genes. My mom it looks amazing at 74. You'd never know. Uh -huh. So I've been blessed in that regard. <laughs> Yes, uh, genes help, but they are not enough because as we have learned over the years of reading books on uh, epigenetics, genes can be turned on or off. True. Very, very. Well, I've learned that my mom um, has cracked certain codes, though, in her genetic. She did overcome, like both of her parents very suddenly uh, were taken by heart attacks in their 50s. And now mm -hmm. she's pretty healthy and pretty... Uh, with it and everything at 74 and so she did overcome her original you know some of the, yeah the the disease ones the disease uh, markers and she paints and I write and I think that keeps us young being creative every day and keeping in the flow and and connected to your spirit for sure now you actually had a lot of life challenges that you've had to overcome um can you tell us whether it was those life challenges that actually opened you to being available to the spiritual path you're on? Or was it in spite of? Or tell us about how you got into what you do. Well, that's a great question and an interesting angle for me to explore. I don't necessarily see myself as someone who's had to overcome a ton of challenges. I grew up pretty middle class white, healthy, had a lot of advantages and privileges. Um, we weren't starving. We weren't, you know, the rich kids. We were the middle class and the middle, the middle child. And so for me, the challenges were more internal. 
and they were more about feeling different, feeling apart, feeling like I had um, just an awareness, I guess, or a consciousness that was different than a lot of my peers. Not that it was better or worse, just that it was different. And feeling alone with that and feeling a lot of um, pressure, again, internally to succeed, to thrive, to be kind of the A student, the good girl, collect the gold stars. I still have that side to me, the, you know, the one who wants to people please and perform. What I believe I've been able to transform within myself around that is having more fun with it and seeing it as a game rather than as something that, that uh, I need to use to beat myself up with, if you will. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, those pressures were sufficient to actually cause you considerable mental distress. Um, when, when you say that you felt different, was it because you were intuitive from an early age? I would say so. I, I don't think I would have had that um, cognitive awareness, as you'd put it, you know, at that early age, but I did have um, a knowing. I guess I always did have a knowing that of energy and of people's vibes. And so being an empath, if that's one of the popular labels flying around right now, or being an intuitive, or even then later developing sort of more psychic and mediumship and spiritual gifts or abilities, um, what have you, that I do believe we all have, and they're just like a muscle that we, you know, develop or let atrophy. Uh, it was, yeah, I mean, I was a sensitive kid, and I, I've channeled that into my writing, into my intuitive counseling work, and into my speaking, and it's really saved me. But during my earlier years, I, I would say I was deeply grieving. I, I mean, I would say depressed, but I would say more grieving this, this again, that loneliness, that sense of you know, Dolores Cannon's work really sums it up well for we indigo warrior, whatever label, label, label thing we are, that we came on a mission to come and remind people and awaken or, or um, reset humanity to that consciousness that we are about love and not about fear and separation, but about unity and oneness. And, and that can be all these sort of pretty words and messages can get lost in that. So it's about living it. It's about vibrating it out and emanating it to the best of our ability, basically. Pretty words are something that uh, <laughs> you eschew. Um, <laughs> I do. I like my pretty words. <laughs> you have a very unique way with the language. You kind of bend it to your will. <laughs> Most that impress- sounds kinky, but I like it. <laughs> Most impressively, actually, you know, as as I read the book, I kept on thinking, this has to be an audio book. I just wanted to stand up and declaim it. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I have run that by the publisher, and he says very uh, lovingly, paternally, and conservatively, when you know, the print sales are there, and that's the justification for us to go, with, you know, create an audio book, we'll do that. So <laughs> we have to sell some books before we can apparently uh, get that project rolling. But I, I had heard it twice in two days, so I thought, mm, I guess that's uh, the next thing the universe is pointing me in that direction because I would love it. I one, of, I one of my favorite things to do when I was in third, fourth, or fifth grade was to read out loud in class. And when the teacher would call on me, that was it. Everybody else was shaking and wishing, you know, and trying not to make eye contact or shrinking their seats. And I was sitting up, raising my hand, <laughs> bolt upright. <laughs> me, big me, big me. I want to read out loud. So yeah, to me, that would just be a no-brainer. That would be super fun. Yeah. Well, you know, uh... Hmm. Look at your contract. Maybe you can do it anyway. Yeah, I can do it anyway. I can do it anyway I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And, and you know, that that's kind of one of your the themes in your book. It's self-sovereignty. It's yes. taking self-responsibility for, for yes. your own life. Yes. How did how did that loom so large in your worldview? Um, I definitely have to point to my dad on that one. He was great at this. He had a real ability. He was a leader and he was in the community. He was a superintendent of schools of the Brookline school system for about 13 or 14 years. Did you really grow up in Brookline? No. In fact, we grew up in, um, in Randolph, Massachusetts, and then moved to Canton, but he wasn't, we spent a great deal of time in Brookline. I went to Brookline high school. Oh, that's great. So that was his, his, uh, his stomping grounds there for a while. He was the, the superintendent who came in and really kind of shifted it all around and built a bunch of buildings and left on a high. So he really um, was beloved and very beloved in Brookline. And it was a big part of my um, late teen and 20-something years into the 30s, really. It's a community that's very liberal, very progressive, very artistically oriented, and um, people support education there. So it was, a, it was a very great challenge for him. He was a self-sovereign being, I would say. He took responsibility for things that weren't always his fault, um, and not blame, because there's a different vibration to responsibility and blame. But he, you know, sometimes he would joke if he was having a particularly rough day, and, and uh, he'd come home, and we'd hear about it around the dinner table, you know, little bits and pieces. And, but he would mostly want to unplug and switch gears and have family time. But what I learned from those discussions beyond education and where it was going and where it was headed, uh, and I know there are a lot of global complaints about that and a lot of homeschooling whenever, but he was a big believer in public education. And in his time, it was really um, important to be a proponent of that. But he had a lot of people hammering at him and blaming him and pointing fingers. And so he was just a problem solver and he would fall on the sword if it was going to help move things forward. He didn't want to get into petty politics or whose fault is this or who dropped the ball here. He wanted everyone to work as a team. And to me, that was an invaluable lesson in when you take responsibility for whatever's showing up in your experience, you A, cycle through it faster, you feel less like a victim and far more empowered, and you just feel better about life. You feel more, not in control necessarily, you know, but just less um, out of control, perhaps. That is almost antithetical to the, the climate, climate that we <laughs> live in now, which is blaming, you know, yeah. finding the victim yeah. or f- playing the victim. Yes, both, for sure. And, and I definitely had my times with that because I, for a long time, felt, oh, I have this workaholic dad who gives all his energy to his work and then comes home and has nothing left for his family. So we used to beat him up about that. And he would get it up and do speeches and be, you know, man of the year, this and teacher of the year and educator of the year. And he would humbly admit, I'm not always husband or father of the year and I'm working on that. And he did work on that. That was something I totally have come to respect and admire about him um, while he was alive and, and since certainly since his passing and his transition back to spirit. It's just, it's a tremendous quality to be able to see both your strengths and your, you know, so-called flaws and to be okay with the fact that you're an evolving, messy, imperfect, but wonderful and tremendous human being all at the same time. So he's kind of one of the inspirations for sure for this whole thing. Well, that's so nice to, to hear. Uh, yeah. Especially, you know, when uh, kids sometimes think that their parents are totally useless and, you know, just don't understand them or the world or anything. 
Well, that was me at 15, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Let's be honest. <laughs> There's the music for you know, Courtney, but, there's the yeah. music for our break. We're gonna have to take a break, but sure. we will be right back. We're speaking with Courtney Walsh, author of Dear Human. Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. I'm back. My guest is Courtney Walsh, and we're speaking to the dear human with her vision and version of love and what it means to be human in this world. Um, Courtney, one of the favorite lines that you have in your book is that spiritual perfectionism is boring. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is. But we all strive to be perfect. Tell, uh. Give me your take on this. So I really do subscribe to the theory or belief or knowing that we are born perfect and we forget our perfection. And that perfectionism is what happens to us when we forget our core perfection and we kind of put these layers of conditioning or fear or trying to please or, you know, trying not to ruffle feathers or whatever it is that we we alter our behaviors, we alter our perfection. But nobody really looks at a newborn infant and says, you really should lose 10 pounds or you really screwed up that meeting. (laughs) It's ridiculous, right? So it's the same with all of us, that we are still that pure being of consciousness and love at our core, and we just have the amnesia. We, get, we forget. Absolutely. And how do we reconnect with that? Um, you talk about intuition and magic. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I really feel like, almost like we're soul sisters because everything that you say in the book is so speaks so to my heart and is so um, useful in getting in, in sorting out the the wheat from the spiritual chaff. You know. Mm. Well, I love hearing that because I do feel that um, a spiritually, uh, you know, intuitively or spiritual applied practice, which for me wouldn't necessarily be sitting on a cushion or bending myself into a pretzel or chanting or incense or crystals. Believe me, I've done all of that and I think it's all wonderful. But to me, it's It's almost like a rite of passage, isn't it? You, yeah. you almost have to go through those. You do, or I chose to. I thought it was fun and it was the seeker, the seeker archetype, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to look over here for answers. I'm going to look over here for answers. I'm going to look over here for answers. And then ultimately you do go within and you connect... Um, what I call vertically rather rather than horizontally. So when you're connecting to your own spirit or your own soul or your own higher self or whatever we want to call it, I have a friend who calls it your double, which I love, then when you connect to that and embody it and bring it on through, that's when you're truly whole. And, and that's what I don't really strive for perfection anymore. One friend says uh, progress, not perfection. I like that one. But I really strive for wholeness, which to me means light and dark and positive and negative and good and bad and masculine and feminine and all the the beautiful juicy paradox and integrated energies and and even the fragmentation and the separation programs, which we are all so privy to because we definitely are taught there's an us, there's a them, there's a we, there's a me. You know, we're taught all these different pronouns even from very early ages and we learn to identify self and other rather than seeing that we're all from the same zip code, really. Mm-hmm. And you invite us to actually have compassion for ourselves and empathy for others. And that's really the bottom line of what, 
to me, dear human, has done for me, for my life, is, okay, Court, just give yourself a break. You know, you're, you're put the whip down for a minute, chill out, take a breath, look at this from a different angle. It's not the end of the world. Like, I have to do a lot of that self-soothing talk and and reminding myself that there really, there really isn't a way to get it right or wrong. It's just about doing your best, which, you know, again, I'm really blessed that I had early people in my life who reinforced that message for me. You know, and so many of us feel this deeply and we, we just want to, to help change the world, to make the world a better place. But where do we draw that line between um, what you call sacred service and martyrdom? Oh, that's huge. And that's probably going to be a big subject in my new book that I've started. And you know, what I've realized is I have no interest in changing, saving, fixing, rescuing, or healing the world like I used to. I used to carry that banner loud and proud. And then that did become martyrdom and resentment for me and frustration. What I have interest in in is finding the beauty that's here, celebrating that, moving in that direction, focusing less on what's wrong, moving more towards what's right, amplifying that, feeding, fueling, watering, and nourishing that because it just feels amazing and it feels powerful and it feels better. And it doesn't to me ever feel like head in the sand. It feels like forward motion. Mm. And that goes back to what you said earlier about uh, integrating your whole self, accepting the, the, the warts and all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the things that we often find the most unappealing about ourselves, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, are often the quirks that other people find endearing or adorable. Not always. Sometimes it can be irritating and frustrating, too. But the things that we're the hardest on ourselves about or that we have, you know, built up in our mind as some kind of boogeyman are really not a big deal at the end of the day. And I think when we put the the light switch on, we see that the boogeyman is just like a dust bunny under the bed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like something we've built up in our minds that I have to fix that about me and I have to fix that about my life and I have to change this and improve that and it's exhausting. So the best thing I've come to realize, and I'm still working, you know, and picking away at this one lovingly, is that I'm a work in progress and I'm a masterpiece. That's a wonderful meme that's flying around now that I just pumped my fist in the air and was screaming yes, because that's what we all are. Again, we're that perfect infant who came in pure and untainted, and we're this ball of messy, you know, contradictions at the same time. We're all of it. And you're saying, you know, get over it. That's what we are. Oh, yeah, move on. Not, not in a snap out of it, you know, kind of slap your face way, but in a, isn't this a relief to see this a different way and to stop carrying this and, and you know, like the weight of the world on your shoulders that it's all up to you all the time and you have to fix everything or... I know that for women, especially a lot of the women I counsel, that's a big one that I've actually heard, you know, people like moms, for example, I have a lot of friends who are moms and I say, well, you know, they say when you fly, put your oxygen mask on you and it's this typical cliche now and they give it to moms to say self-care is important before you run around doing everything for everyone else. And I've had moms say to me, I could never do that. I said, so you just let you all die rather than you put the oxygen mask on you first. Yeah, it's a knee-jerk reaction for them to tend to the children or the men or the people in their lives first. It's a conditioned response. And I'm going, mm, ladies, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'm saying it to myself most of all because 
as someone who is, you know, an ongoing recovering people pleaser, I, I like when things are smooth and when people are feeling good and happy, but I'm not in charge of all that. And that's something I've had to really realize. Oxygen mask on me first. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you have no juice to give. Absolutely. And we get this intellectually, I think, but emotionally and spiritually, we just fear that that's selfishness or something, that we're, you know, self-aggrandizement or something. And mm -hmm. it's just so false. It's just so unhelpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, what, uh, where do people find you? Yeah, so I have several places now kind of blowing up out there, but the main place I enjoy posting the most is my own profile and timeline on Facebook. And that one is, um, of course, facebook.com, and it's backslash loonybus. <laughs> and it's, yep, it always gets a chuckle even out of me. So it's L-O-O-N-Y-B-U-S, and there's no E in Looney, and it's all one word. So Looneybus is how you find me, facebook.com backslash Looneybus. That's one of the pages that I, again, post the most on. There's a Squeezing the Stars page on Facebook. There's a Dear Human Caw page. There's a website for the Dear Human book that's out now. That's www.dear-human.com. Um, I also have my own website. That's squeezingthestars.com. I have tons of websites and tons of pages. So basically, if you put in Courtney A. Walsh into Google, it's going to lead you somewhere to me. And if you, especially if you put in my name and Dear Human, you'll come up with all kinds of Instagram and Pinterest and fun, cool things that are blowing up, which is really fun. I'd like to point out so. that Caw, the call of a raven, is actually Courtney's initials, Courtney yes. A. Walsh. Yes, I've had people go, what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also that Courtney is a gifted poet, um, in fact, you can read some of her poetry uh, in her article in the current issue of New Consciousness Review at ncreview.com. Yes. I love Magazine. thinking of myself as a poet. I actually was an intern to Robert Pinsky, who was the National Poet Laureate for years ago. And I, I, had never, I think of myself as a stream of consciousness kind of writer or a clairaudient channel or a rambler, but... Hey, I'll take poet. I think it's a lovely title. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. Yes. <laughs> so what do you have next on the agenda? So next, it's really, right now it's a push for getting Dear Human out and about into the world and holding its hand while it does that and grows up even more. Because like you said in the beginning of the interview, it's gone out to about 20 to 40, maybe even 50 million people by now. And I would very much like to see it become more of a movement it's going to be in college um, freshman uh, classes. So there'll be some university things that I'll be going to do, some retreats. There's a woman in Guatemala who wants to do a retreat, a woman up in Moncton in Canada and New Brunswick who wants to do a retreat. So this is a, like, so I see a lot of collaborations happening, a lot of webinars, online courses. I've also started the new book, as I mentioned. So I'll be plenty busy this spring and summer and for the rest of the year doing lots of fun things, hopping about and doing some internet things and also some actual real-time travel, face-to-face -face things. Well, I really want to urge my listeners, our listeners, to get a copy of this book, Dear Human, because it is so empowering and so much fun to read. I mean, it, and, and it's not very long. It's a quick read, but except that you'll keep on going back and you'll just kind of pause and savor it because you will resonate so deeply with it. It's not only for women, but women will especially resonate with it. 
Did you have women in mind when you wrote it or the whole human race? Um, honestly, the whole human race, but I certainly seem to be a magnet for a lot more women who come and work with me one-on-one and who resonate with the material a lot. I have had a lot of men also come and say, oh my God, I've never heard anybody put stuff like this before, so it's hitting them. Um, there's quite a lot of um, you know, conscious men's movements now that are out there. I just got asked to do a, a podcast for speaking of partnership that's coming up uh, next week, I believe, with um, a lovely gentleman named Ken Bechtel, I believe his name is pronounced. And so there's lots of cool crossover, and I love that. I love that it isn't just a niche thing, that it has this more general mass appeal that's fun for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, we tend to get caught up in the women's liberation movement and re- and forget that men le- need to be liberated from their patriarchal shackles yeah. just as much. More. More. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really feel for my brothers out there because um, they get the dichotomy of men are jerks or men are wimps, <laughs> you know? And no, so no, they, no, no, no. We can't leave it on that note. Men are yeah. wonderful. Women are wonderful. Embrace your power yes. and embrace this book. Courtney, yes. thank you so much thank for being you. with us. <laughs> Courtney Walsh, author of Dear Human. Thank you. Bye, Courtney. Bye-bye, Miriam. Thank you.